0: Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father and our God, how rich that moment was to us. To rehearse in song again, your amazing grace, the undeserved love of our God, who gave us the indescribable gift of Christ Jesus because of your mercies to us, offering us the gift of salvation through belief in Christ Jesus that our sins might be forgiven. That we might have eternal life in a relationship with God the Father forever. And life abundantly right now. Oh God, would you help our hearts to fully embrace the magnitude of your mercy to us? That we might in turn live lives as living sacrifices holy before you, pleasing to you, every day, an act of worship, oh God. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, I get to share with you an amazing and exciting truth and absolutely life-changing reality this morning. How a life can be transformed. And um, it all has to do with your view of the world. How you view things. Um, About 20 years ago or so, uh, the first time that I had the opportunity to do an international mission trip, Lynn and myself and Graydon, who was then 13, went to Turkey. It was our first introduction to missions cross-culturally, and um, while we were there, Graydon became good friends of a little Turkish guy who was about a year younger than him, I think he was 12, and they played soccer together every day, and they just became fast friends, great buddies, so much so that, that uh, regularly this kid was in the, the place that we were staying, and we just sort of adopted him as part of, uh, part of the family for the time we were there. And because of that, we got to know him fairly well and, and uh, got to uh, understand a little bit about the way he thinks. He had learned uh, some English in um, school, but we also had a translator with us, so we were able to, to talk to him. And we, we learned that even at his age, he had a distinct aversion to everything West he didn't like Americans and and I don't mean that by the United States but rather just the whole North American Western Hemisphere continent didn't like Americans and so um, we asked him one day well has your view changed Uh, because after all now you know a you have a new Christian buddy who you've become fast friends with, and has your view changed? And, and so um, he said this to us. Um, yes, he is my friend, but if I met him in battle, I would kill him because he is American. And it occurred to us, even at the age of 12, that our view of the world, people's view of the world, is shaped... And the way they behave, the way we think, the way we treat one another is very, very radically shaped by the events that come into our life, by the teaching that come into our life. His view of the world shaped everything. And that's the subject matter that we want to look at this morning. Your view of the world matters. And I want to approach this subject with you as um, sort of the first one as we encounter, uh, dig into our series this this uh, winter, um, I want to handle this by answering with you, for you five questions this morning that, that I think are important to answer. I want to give most of my time to question four, so I want to uh, work quickly through the first three questions. They're sort of introductory, introductory questions. But the first question is this, how does your worldview impact your life? And, and we, we need to probably define worldview because many of us are perhaps not so... Um, uh, versed with philosophy and those kinds of things, but worldview is simply how you believe the world should function, how it should work, what should be valued, um, how people should act. That's, that's your worldview, and um, you, you might be shaped by what has happened in your life, or by what you've been taught, or somehow how you think, uh, what you think about race, or gender, or authority, or God. Um, all shapes your worldview, shapes the way you, you view the world. In fact, the writer, uh, one of the writers in um, our study uh, stated this, Ideas have consequences. And I think that's a pretty uh, important statement as foundational to where we want to go this morning. And I think most of us, if we've been paying attention to what's been going on in the world this week, Particularly in Paris, France, realize that ideas do have consequences. What you think and how you believe, what you believe, shapes the way you behave, the way you act. And uh, I would state that your ideas of the world, its values, what really matters, what is true and what isn't, determine how you behave. And and so when we think about our own lives, we should be asking questions of ourselves, like how, how, uh, How far am I from where I think I ought to be, or am I where God wants me to be, more particularly? And and today we want to specifically look at a Christian worldview and define what that is and understand what that is. And a Christian worldview matters because it sets us apart from unbelievers, helps us progress spiritually, and gives us wisdom to make decisions as believers in Christ. These are very important realities. Sets us apart as holy people. Uh, without holiness, it is impossible to please God. The scriptures teach us. Helps us to know how to progress spiritually and move forward, and uh, and obviously, um, importantly, to make decisions uh, as believers that are pleasing to Christ. So, the second question that I want to look at is: From what lens is your worldview? And. Um, while this is not exhaustive, it is an example of a few. I want to share with you three major worldviews that each of us are living among, and uh, these are intentional worldviews, by the way, an intentional way of thinking that uh, you will encounter uh, as you, as you uh, navigate around in our culture. And the first uh, is the worldview that's shaped by religious codes, religious codes. Every religion proposes a way of viewing the world. What is tragic is that the majority of religions um, look through the lens of external values, external rules, external regulations. And um, in fact, the worst of Christianity is no exception, Uh, making adherence through codes of conduct and the requirement for salvation, which we all know is not successful by code. The second, and one that we face virtually every day of our lives, which has become the basic worldview or value system of our country, is political correctness. We've talked about this a little bit before, but this is the preferred worldview of Canada. And I want to give just a little bit of a backdrop so we understand what we're up against here with the whole issue of political correctness. Political correctness... uh, By the way, um, where... Political correctness opposes um, racism, or religious, or minority, or, or gender persecution or discrimination. It mirrors Christian ethics, and we agree with it. But here's the issue with political correctness: it it arose as a worldview and has has vaulted itself onto the the stage as the predominant worldview of of our country for sure, uh, because there has been a dramatic transition. Uh, among the secular uh, society of Canada, it wasn't that far uh, back, several decades ago, whereby people who did not, who were outside of the church, still embraced, for the most part, a Judeo-Christian worldview and values. That's how most of us grew up. Most of us grew up with people who, who uh, while they didn't know the Lord, they had a, they had a, uh, a, a. a approach to life that was, was uh, uh, conversant with the Ten Commandments and, and, uh, and uh, re- welcomed and received uh, moral values. But in the absence of that, which is the culture we live among today, there needed to be some sort of mechanism that would uh, regulate people's behavior one toward the other. And so political correctness has filled that void. It has become that, that it's a secular social contract that problem with it, it lacks spiritual and, and a, a spiritual and moral core. It's relativistic. Its gigantic weakness is that there's no arbitrator to decide morally between human rights and human responsibilities. In particular, there's no arbiter to decide between human rights and what is actually right. And uh, there's a no allowance in political correctness for passionately held opposing views. I think um, we can all agree that political correctness has, is the next step, uh, a transitional step, from pluralism. Most of us have heard the terminology that we live in a pluralistic society, which which by its definition, means um, you can believe what you want to believe in, I'll believe what I want to believe in, we'll all have a group hug and get along together. And, And everybody thought that could work. Or at least, many thought that could work. Many philosophers who understood the ramifications of that realized it couldn't. And in fact, pluralism is not actually being embraced in Canada at this moment. It's political correctness, because it's the transition Uh, we've realized, we've come to realize that no, it's not you can't believe what you want to believe and I can believe what I want to believe and we'll all get along together. We realize that what you want to believe might in fact infringe upon what I want to believe and and might put an obstacle in the way of the way I want to live. And so political correctness, in my opinion, is a transitional state That is moving us toward a totalitarian society in Canada, whereby it is going to be mandated upon everyone how to think, even if it isn't moral, even if it doesn't, in fact, mirror Christian values. And so that is the prevailing worldview of the average person you work with or live beside, its ideals have no boundaries and no way to fairly adjudicate conflicting ideals. It has no plan for passionately handling people who believe a certain truth. There's a third um, worldview, which is God-centered. And I hope that and trust that everybody within this room is, has a God-centered worldview uh, relating to a real knowable God who is the measure of all things. Now here's a couple of important questions that we need to be able to ask any of these three worldviews. And they are these. Does your view of the world provide a firm foundation when the really serious life-shaping situations threaten to overwhelm you? It's one thing to have a particular worldview. It's another thing for it to actually work in life. It's another thing for it to actually be there when the bottom drops out of your life and it actually provides real answers to life's perplexing questions the second question that I think is is critical for this is does your view of the world give you confidence to know that you are able to live in God's way in any situation so um, with those questions in mind and a discussion on worldview intentional worldviews I I want to move us to the third question which is really the only question that matters And that is, what does the Bible have to say about worldview? You didn't come here this morning, I would assume, to hear some sort of dissertation on the philosophy of worldview. I suspect that you gathered here to hear what the Bible has to say about it. And uh, I'm glad that that's the case. By your silence, I presume that's where we want to go. So if you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? Because it really only matters what God has to say about worldview and and I find in the scriptures, interestingly enough, as is the case on most issues, there are only really two worldviews, although I've expressed three here this morning, and there are many more in terms of, uh, of descriptions of worldviews, there's really fundamentally only two worldviews. And that's what we're going to discover in the scriptures. And uh, that's not unusual, frankly, virtually everything I preach. In the last 13 and a half years, I think, has come down to one of two things. There's God's way, and there's everybody else's way. There's only two possible worldviews. If you have your Bibles open to Romans 8, I want to read a, a um, section of this chapter, and I want to zero in on a couple of verses in particular. It begins, therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the great truth to start out the year. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So immediately when I read a text like that, I want to know how can I be in Christ Jesus? Because I want to get to the place where my status is. There's no condemnation to me from God. And so he goes on to state, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, or I'll switch it to use some words I've already used, for what religious codes were powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds, note note this, set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on on what the Spirit desires. That's the dividing line in life. In the whole of our planet, this is the dividing line that decides worldview. Your worldview is either based on your sinful nature or it is based on the Spirit of God. The mind of sinful man, verse six, is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Let's stop there, and let's back up and take a look here. One thing for certain, as we look at this text, is that Christianity is, in fact, predicated on how we think. There are a lot of people out there in terms of trying to discredit Christianity that suggest it's a mindless, it's, it's for people who don't have very sharp minds, it's, it's for people who are led along and swayed by the crowd, it's for people who need crutches, it's for people who are very weak, it's for people who, uh, if they had any intelligence at all, would not be Christians. One thing that is very certainly established in the Bible, not just here, but regularly, Is that mind matters what you think matters Christianity is very much uh, to do with the mind and how you think and uh, this text is very clear on the matter that the mind really matters and so there are two worldviews that grow out of here the mind of sinful man which is hostile to God and death or the mind controlled by the Spirit which is life and peace. The Apostle Paul sets out a very stark contrast here. It couldn't be more stark. And it couldn't be more critical or important. When you think about it, the mind that is set... And by the way, the word mind here, in, uh, in its fullest description, means mindset. It means, uh, uh, in fact, uh, the way our, our, our personal will is orientated. All right? So, it states here that the mindset of sinful man, at its very best moment, is hostile to God, and its very, very best outcome is death. Now, I would presume, because you're all an intelligent group of people, that when we talk about matters of importance... I'm pretty certain we've hit upon something of incredible importance. I would guess that um, if we have been offered a choice between one and another, and the one's very best activities make one at odds with God, and its very best outcome is eternal death, that's not a worldview that anybody with any intelligence in this room would want to choose. Am I right? In fact, the alternative here is the mind controlled by the Spirit brings life and peace. Do you see the distinct contrast here? The one mindset brings hostility toward God. The other mindset brings peace with God. The one mindset ultimately results in death, eternal death. The other mindset results in eternal life. These are the two contrasting worldviews. How important is it that you have a Christian worldview? It is the difference between life and death. That's what's presented here in the text. So the thinking person can see this. In fact, the thinking person, it says here, will put to death misdeeds of the body. It matters how you live. And that's why it matters how you think. Because never in the scriptures is the idea presented that thinking is enough. Thinking must always demonstrate its authenticity by living, by behaving, by action, by application. And so, if you're you're still looking at this text, in verse 12 it says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In this way, Isaiah 26.3 is being fulfilled in your life. And most of us, or many of us, have made that verse probably one of our key life verses. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Is that where you stop? That's where most of us stop. Because he, come on, come on people, trusts in him. Critical to that verse, because he trusts in him. Not everything around us is entirely peaceful. Not everything around us is free of trouble and turmoil. But he will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mindset is fixed on him because we trust in him. So we have been promised peace with God if our mind is fixed on God. Under every circumstance, we can have peace with God whose mind is stayed in Him because we trust in Him. Now, it is critical when we come to a place like this and realize there are two ways to go, one leads to death, the other leads to life, to answer the question, how can I be on one side? The particular, the, the life stream. How can I be there? There is no more important question than this. How can I be there? Because it says in the text, verse 9 here, you, however, controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, and then there's this critical word, if. It's conditional. If. The Spirit of God lives in you, In other words, if the Spirit of God does not live in you, your mind cannot be set on the things of God. You cannot live at peace with God and you do not have life. Well, that just tells us the bad news. It doesn't tell us the good news. This book of Romans... You know, when it comes to an apologetic for salvation or understanding the mechanism of salvation or understanding the theology of salvation is almost unparalleled. Can I commend the book of Romans to you? In fact, better seminaries insist on multiple readings of the book of Romans. Better seminaries would be seminaries like the one I attended, for instance. Our seminary insisted... That this book was so core, is so core to salvation theology that one of the assignments was to read the book of Romans every day for 30 days. Can I commend that to you? Has anybody ever done that? (laughs) Those those who are heritage grads, London grads. I, I invite every one of you, listen, it will absolutely radically change your life to give you a foundational sense of salvation theology by reading the book of Romans. Read it, and read it again, and read it over and over and over again, and allow it to sink into your life, because in this book, the book of Romans, is the presentation of the gospel. And I want to um, answer this question, because the question that needs to be answered today is, how can I have a Christian worldview? How can I make sure that I have a Christian worldview? How can you have a God-centered, controlled-by-the-Spirit worldview? And it is simply this. It is necessary for you to welcome God's merciful solution to redeem the sinful mind that is set on sinful desires. Let me give you a couple of classic verse sections to sort of... Sink this into your heart. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, Paul starts the verses this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I, every time I read this, I think of my uncle, who's now in heaven, He was an evangelist. He would write me frequently because that was the days before computer. I did ministry in the days before computer. I know you find that hard to believe looking at my youthful appearance. But, but there were days when we wrote letters to each other and picked up the phone. That's how we communicated. And many of you, by the color of your hair, know what I'm talking about. And every time he would write me, he would always write two things in the letter, first of all. And it would be this, preach the word, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I preached his sermon, or I preached his, his funeral service, and I used the text that he shared with me, preach the word and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul states that here in the most emphatic way. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Can Can I just pause there for a moment and allow this to become a transformational moment in our lives? Because it needs to be. I am not ashamed of the good news, Paul says. Why because it is the power of God to change a person from death to life. When I stand in front of people, Paul says, and I look at them, and I stand in front of a lost soul, a person who's going to hell if nothing changes, I am not ashamed. I am not embarrassed by the good news that Jesus Christ loves them so much that he gave his life for them that they might have a relationship with God and restored, if sins forgiven, and eternal life. I'm not ashamed of that, Paul says, because it's the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, to anybody in the world. We must not, we must live this way. We must live with a different boldness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why should I be embarrassed of the gospel? Why should I stand in front of people and be embarrassed that I'm a Christian or ashamed that I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ? My goodness, it's the only way people can ever be rescued and have eternal life is to embrace the truth of the gospel. What we have is a precious treasure. It's a life transforming and changing treasure that we have. And we get to stand before people and tell them, Your life can change. God could change your life. You could have life forever. You could have all the guilt removed from your life. You could find a status where there's now no condemnation between you and God. This is what God can do for you. And therefore, I am not ashamed of that message. And neither must we be. He says, because the gospel, in the gospel, there's a righteousness from God, a right way of living from God that's revealed In the good news, you can know how to please God. You can know how to live in a way that relates to God. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. By believing that Jesus Christ died for you, you can have his forgiveness and he will come in and live in your life. And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, he goes on to continue in this, this theme. This righteousness, he says, that is from God, Which, by the way, is embodied in Christ. Christ actually moves into our lives. That's what Paul is saying here. You are controlled by the Spirit because Christ has moved into your life. The righteousness of God has actually moved into your life. This righteousness, he says, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, or in other words, declared righteous, because you have now been uh, indwelt by righteousness, by his grace, which is his undeserved love toward us, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's why Paul can say, therefore, by the mercies of God... What He has done for you, I urge you, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He has brought you from death to life so that you could be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, which is your spiritual act of worship. You can have this. The, the, the teaching here is therefore the gospel's meant to be lived. The good news is meant to be lived out. Living the gospels is, in everyday life situations is your act of worship. What we have done this morning is a part of worship. It's, a, it's an expression of worship to come and sing and pray, praise God. But it's not the extent of worship. The extent of worship is an everyday living experience of the reign of Jesus Christ in our life whereby our minds are controlled by the Spirit and we live in ways that please God. It's an everyday living out of loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and body. It's everyday living out husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Worship is wives yielding to your husband's leadership as the church yields to Christ. Worship, everybody, is forgiving those who have offended you and have asked for forgiveness. Worship every day is driving behind that little old lady with silver blue hair and not getting impatient. That's what worship is all about. That's worship. That's your act of worship. And it happens because of the mercies of God who has come into your life. But then he goes on to tell us, How this really happens in our lives. How is it that I could love my wife as Christ loved the church? How is it that she could yield to me as as the church yields to Christ? How is it that I can get behind a little old lady with blue hair and not get impatient? It's not just because the Spirit of God has moved into my life. As Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12. Notice what he says in verse 2. This is how it, how it comes about. Stop or do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's how it works, everybody. He states here that the only way that your mind is going to interact with your body to live in a way that brings pleasure to God is if you stop being conformed to the secular world around you. And um, this, this word, schematizo, conformed, means a, assuming a certain form. It means matching the form of the things around you. And uh, pa- it means being patterned after in a, in a faulty way after those things around you, patterned after the world of those who love themselves and love money and love pleasure. At the cultural level, there are two different ways this happens or two different representatives that would be... Uh, representative uh, in, in our church perhaps the one is being conformed to the culture of death and that is the secular culture around us that's the one that we're, we're we're most familiar with it's it's everywhere it's the political correct world around us of rights and freedoms who what is patterning your life you and your kids if you occupy your mind Predominantly, or most of the time, and you need to think about this with secular literature, movies, television, media, and talking to people who don't love the Lord, not about the things of the Lord, but just simply hanging out with people who don't know Jesus, then you are being conformed to the image of this world. You're being conformed to the pattern and thinking of this world. That's what's happening. Now, as you think about it, as you think about this past week and the time you spent, in terms of time spent with God and the things of God versus time spent with secular literature, television, media, movies, discussions that had nothing to do with God, what's the balance in your life? And the second, and, and we'll develop this in a few moments, I don't want to develop too much here because it, it doesn't have meaning unless I get to the next section, is the culture of Christianity. You're, you're either being conformed to the culture of death or the culture of Christianity, and the culture of Christianity leads us in a very bad direction. Here, here's the problem. Many Christians, I, I see many Christians, or some who've walked away from the faith altogether, and we could name name upon name whether it be in our family or from our church or in the past in the history who have walked away or we we also know christians who are frustrated incredibly frustrated they live with guilt they live with fear they live with frustration they live with bitterness they live with all the kinds of things that we're supposed to not have to be dealing with in our life or regret they have a form of godliness that was based upon rituals or abstaining from certain practices that enabled them to fit into the culture of Christianity. And I'm, I'm suggesting and I'm afraid that, and, and I want to I point out the distinction here, that conforming to the culture of Christianity has been the cause of more casualties In the church than anything else we're not called to conform to the conduct of the secular we're not called to conform to the culture of Christianity we are called in this text to be transformed and in only one way and what does it say in the text by the renewing of our minds this word transformed is not the same as the word conformed. This word transformed is metamorpho which is that word that we get in English uh, metamorphosis. It's the idea of a completely different shape taking place. It's the renewing of our minds not by rules and not by code of copying code of conduct but rather by internalizing The new values of God. And there's only one place that you can renew your mind on the things of God. And where is that? In the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Now, of course, there's some helpful Christian literature which accompanies all of that, and that's helpful as well. But this idea of being transformed, and I want to leave you with two thoughts on this whole idea of transformation. One, it's a process. When we come to know christ when the spirit of god moves into us by faith because we believe that jesus died on the cross for our sins and we trust in him by faith he comes in and moves into our lives on that particular moment we have a long journey ahead of us positionally we have been put in right place with god in an instant and positionally We've been given all of the resident power in the universe, in our lives, to change the way we are. But this verse tells us that we also need to cooperate with the power of God that is in us to actually utilize that power to change us. It's as if you had a laptop that, laptop that broke down. Its battery was ruined and wrecked and all of that. And, and you got a new battery, and you got a new high-speed... You know, I don't know anything about farming. I also don't know anything about technically about computers. So this illustration will only work if you ignore... If you know things and you ignore everything I'm saying technically. But it works illustratively. You get a new power cell. You get an, a new high-speed hard drive and now your laptop is top of the line it is state of art but unless you get the accompanying programming to go with it the power that you have in that new mechanism is not going to change any output on your laptop does that make any sense i know it's crude but that's the idea of positionally what we have but practically speaking, unless we actually start to believe the things that God says and act them out in our life, by the power of God, nothing's going to change in our lives. We will just be conformed to the world around us. This is the beauty of this process, what's, going, what's taking place. It is a process of feeding our minds information that will reprogram our thinking in line with the values of the kingdom, learning to think like God. The second aspect of this transformation, and I'll come back now to the culture of Christianity issue, is its internal. Christianity uniquely works from the inside out and not the other way. You cannot become a Christian by copying the life patterns and style of other people. This is the great tragedy of evangelicalism. The great tragedy of many moms and dads' hearts is, and and I want to talk to moms and dads right now. This is pivotal. A pivotal moment in God's Word. We do not want to teach our children to simply copy the way we behave. We must teach our children what God says about things so that they will embrace the viewpoint of God and make it their own. That is the complete distinction between those who are conforming to the culture of Christianity and tragically most walk away versus those who are being transformed by the renewing of their minds. You see, the Bible does not, uh, it does not describe every possible eventuality of life. You can't, you can't uh, memorize in a rote way how I should behave in any given situation. What you can do is learn to have a God-think mind so that when something comes up, you know how to think like God. Your values, your worldview is completely reshaped by renewing your mind by reading what God says so that it now becomes your value and your values now become your behavior. The word of God doesn't tell me, um, it doesn't tell me what job I should take. It doesn't tell me... Uh, uh, how I should invest in the kingdom. I can't open to a page here and say, Rick, uh, this week you, you should be investing in the Billy Graham Association or you should be giving to Compassion or whatever. It doesn't say that. In fact, by the way, we, we sponsored 57 kids last Sunday. Isn't that great? That's amazing. That means 57 lives are, are going to now be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will work its way potentially into families and, and change whole, whole neighborhoods. But here this, we are offered this transformation. It's internal. Christianity is internal. You can't join Christianity from the outside. It has to be who you are. And the only way it takes shape is by your mind feasting on what God says and then acting on it. And you are, become, you are being transformed. That's how it works. A transformational church is a church that so feeds itself on God's word and applies God's word that in fact the people look like God's word in how they live. Why is this God-centered worldview necessary? it says the word then in verse 2 you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will then and only then how can I please God the more I know him and the way he thinks the more I will choose his way and his will this is not hard to comprehend or understand but it is the single most missing issue in the average Christian's life. We are allowing ourselves to be more conformed by the world than transformed by the word. And every day of my life, things instinctively pop up in my behavior that tell me I have a lot of world conforming going on and I have a lot of work yet to be accomplished in the area of transforming and a lot of it has to do when I'm driving you know everything You know, we, we, can, we can I can stand up here in the front so can you we can come into this church and, and, and for the most part you know we love each other and we're, we, we enjoy being together and all that there's no challenge being here The challenge is when we get out there. The challenge to whether or not we're transformed or being transformed is when we're out there or when we're in our home. This afternoon, when our spouse says something that really annoys us, guys, it's in that moment we have a decision to make. Are we conformed to the secular and we bite her head off? Or are we being transformed into the image of Christ and love her like Christ loves the church? That's worship. That's transformational people worshiping God. That's what we want to be. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would drill this truth in a new um, and applicational way into our lives today. I pray, Father, that you would Help us to really audit our own lives in terms of how our time is being spent and what is really shaping our thinking. And Lord, our, our, um, our reactions, our instincts demonstrate how much the world is shaping our thinking. I pray, oh God, that this would be a year of transformational uh, progress in ways that none of us have ever experienced before. And we all ask this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. Stop being conformed to the faulty pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to determine the will of God, God's will, His perfect, pleasing will. What's your plan for that for this year? We're doing the best we can as leaders to try and help you with that. We'd urge you to be part of a discipling community where you're really can hold each other's feet to the fire in terms of application, that we don't want to be just hearers of God's word. We want to be appliers of God's word, doers of God's word. And so I would encourage you to get into a discipling community, pick up one of these books. Maybe it's not possible for you to be part part of one of our communities for some reason, or maybe you just don't want to do that. It doesn't mean that you bypass transformational living. I'd encourage you to pick up one of these books as well. This is a great weekly devotional to go through and challenge yourself with the things that we're talking about and we're encouraging each other as a church family. Let's take God's word seriously. It is the only way that transformation takes place. There is no other way given to us. So I urge you, as Paul did, in view of unfathomable mercies that God would love us let's do our part he's rescued us to become different to become like Christ let's do our part by renewing our minds thinking how God thinks making them our values So that our worldview is a Christian worldview. We are going to need this, not just for eternity. The the days around us are going to require that we know who we are and what we believe and live it. Our Father, I pray. Oh, Father, I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. Pray for myself. May this be a transformational year in ways, Lord, that we can only give you glory, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.